In last week's sermon, I presented to you an analogy about a, a tossed salad that the New Testament teaches that the church is to be a tossed salad with just a little bit of olive oil to accentuate each individual flavor. This beautiful picture of this beautiful tasting salad. But there's different views on how we go about making a salad. And so we addressed that last week, the, the three different ways, the weird way of separating each individual ingredient and eating them separately. You know, kind of the, the North American way of taking the ingredients and accepting each of those ingredients for what they are, but then smothering them with ranch dressing so that we can make them all taste the same. And then I presented to you the tossed salad that I believe the New Scriptures, the New Testament, sorry, talk about. A, a, a salad that has all the ingredients mixed in, tossed beautifully with just a bit of olive oil. So the Holy Spirit, being the olive oil, can accentuate the taste of each individual flavor. Now, some of you, as you've been thinking about that analogy, you may you may have some some skepticism. You may think to yourself, like, how is that kind of church even possible? Some of us may even go as far to, to justify and say that, you know, separation is actually normal. Segregating is actually something that the Bible calls us to. You know, a lot of us, we want to attend or find a church that thinks of Jesus the same way that we do. We want to attend or find a church that plays the kind of music that we like. A lot of us actually seek this kind of uniformity uh, in what we call church. The problem is, is that that is not what the New Testament calls for. And so I understand your, your skepticism around this, but what I'm trying to present to you is the New Testament's image, the New Testament's vision for what it calls the church to be. And the reason why I think often we're skeptical is because we can't accept just how radical this vision for the New Testament church actually is. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to listen deeply today to, to this sermon to listen to the teaching that I'm going to present to you. Because last week's sermon, I really just had one main point. One main point that I was trying to convey to you, and that was that according to the New Testament, everyone is welcome equally to the table in the Christian church. We don't exclude anybody from the table, that salvation is for everybody, that there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no male, there is no female, that, that, that there is no rich, there is no poor, that we're all one in Christ. That's the New Testament church, a church with no separation, a church that accepts the difference in each person. Now, it's not actually abnormal that in a religious system, we would think that separating is actually a positive thing. The early Jews, if we look how they were presented in first century Palestinian Judaism in Jesus's time, the early Jews actually prided themselves on their separation. 
the Jews hated the Gentiles. And they wanted drastically to separate themselves from how they saw the Gentiles. They used the law, as I said last week, as the mark, the way of showing that they were superior to others, that they were righteous compared to these Gentiles. The Jews actually kind of lived what you would call a pious life. They wanted everyone to know that they were righteous. And you see Jesus address this often in the New Testament. Like when Jesus says, you know, you guys go out and you pray out loud in the in the courtyards and, and in the streets because you want everybody to hear you and to see you as important. And they would wear like fancy clothing to, to distinguish themselves from everybody else as holy and righteous. And the Gentiles, well, the Gentiles were totally different than that. The Gentiles were kind of your average people that worshipped many gods. They all had some kind of a religious bend to them, but they would worship many gods. But it was often things like if they worshipped the god of Aphrodite, then they would actually participate in things like orgies and, and completely inappropriate sexual behaviors. And they would see that as uh, them worshipping their god, that it was completely acceptable. And so you can sense this tension in the New Testament from the pious Jew to the pagan Gentile and just how they would hate one another because to the Jew, the Gentile was unclean, the Gentile had no ethics, and to the Gentile, the Jew thought he was better than everybody else and, and set apart and holy and all of these things. And so the Gentiles felt judged by the Jews and the Jews needed to separate themselves from the filth of the Gentiles. And this is kind of the, the culture that Jesus is entering himself into. Now, I want to start today's teaching off with a passage in the book of Ephesians that shows us how Paul sees the cross radically bridging the gap of separation and how the New, the New Testament calls for something completely different than this separation of Jew and Gentile, this dislike for one another. Because remember, that was Paul's mission, was to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together so they could become one called the church. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 14, says this, For he himself is our peace. He himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, so the Jews and the Gentiles, that Christ has made these two separated groups now one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose, whenever scripture says that, he's giving you a purpose. This is what Jesus' purpose was in this moment. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. So this separation of Jew and Gentile, this sort of separation of humanity, he says, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's interesting in this passage because 
Paul says that Jesus is himself our peace. That peace only comes through Jesus. A person by the name of Daniel Strickland, a, a Canadian author and teaching pastor at the Meeting House, uh, she said this, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she said this, that often we see peace as the absence of something. So in other words, often we see peace as the absence of violence. You can't have peace if you have violence. But listen to what she says. She says, when in reality, peace is Jesus's presence in the midst of the something. So in other words, peace is Jesus's presence in the midst of the violence. Now, that's actually what Paul is saying here. That it's the presence of Jesus that brings true peace between people or groups with barriers or hostility. That it's, it's not the efforts that we make, that it's the presence of Jesus himself that changes things. You see, Jesus took down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, the passage says. So that would say that there was a barrier, there was a separation, there was hostility, there was things that divided the Jews and the Gentiles, and they were things that conversations just couldn't fix. And so Jesus did this, in Ephesians it says, that by removing the mark of the law as something that separates. So he removes their mark of the law, the thing that they were pious about, in order to bring this togetherness, this oneness. Instead, the passage says, he calls us through the cross to be one new humanity. And so I want you to hear that in this New Testament teaching, that there's this newness about the oneness, that this new one humanity, that everything is changing because of the presence of Jesus through the cross. This is the only thing that can bring peace. Jesus. And it's the presence of Jesus through his Holy Spirit and the oneness that Paul talks about, that Jesus brings this oneness. He bridges this gap. He knocks down the barriers of hostility that no one else can possibly knock down. You know, often we see peace and reconciliation as, some, as someone becoming like us or someone agreeing to be like us or agreeing with us. But that's just the ranch dressing salad. Scripture calls for unity. It doesn't call for uniformity. But often in the Christian church, what we're looking for is uniformity. We're looking for a ranch dressing kind of church, a church that does things the way we want, a church that believes things the way we believe. And we, we want this, these many different ingredients, but we want it all to taste like ranch dressing. But scripture calls for unity, not uniformity. And uniformity is when we only spend time with people in community that look like us, that act like us, that think like us. Unity is actually when God's spirit is placed in the middle of our differences and we're able to see God through these differences. You see, there's a huge difference between seeking unity 
and seeking uniformity. And so scripture never teaches uniformity, but it calls us to this radical unity that can only be present through the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, everything that Paul teaches about the Christian life is about how to live inside of a salad bowl. All of Paul's teachings are ecclesial perceptions of the Christian life. In other words, Paul is always teaching about the church as a community. He's always speaking communal when he talks about the Christian life. He's very rarely speaking individually. That's our old view of Paul. That's that's our skewed view of of Judaism as a works-based religion. When you see Judaism as a covenant-based religion, you start to read Paul differently, and you notice very quickly that he's not often talking about the individual. He's usually talking about the ecclesial, the, the church, the body of Christ, the many people whenever he refers to the Christian life. To Paul, the Christian life is connected to others, always. And you can't do the Christian life alone. It means that Paul teaches about how we are to live as the church among people who are different. People who think differently than us. People who have questions. People who have a different skin color than us. People who have different views of sexuality than us. It's in Christ that we can be unified in the midst of all those differences. This is the oneness that Paul teaches us in Scripture. That we are all one in Christ. That we're all welcomed to the table You see, if you don't welcome someone to the table, how can you ever start a conversation? Now, some of you might say, how on earth is this vision of the church even possible? How is this radical vision of the church possible? It just doesn't make sense. I can't wrap wrap my head around the possibility of this sort of oneness that you're teaching. The Apostle Paul It's almost like he kind of knew that you were going to have that question. And so he gives us a vision for that. And he calls it something very specific. He calls it the body. The body of Christ. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, from him, so from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And listen to what he says in Romans chapter 5. He says, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Each person is uniquely different Yet when we join the different together, each person plays a role in the overall body. We need the difference in order to be a healthy body. We need the foot. We need the hand. We need the nose. We need the eyes. We need the ears. We need the mouth. We need the shoulders. We need the chest. We need the legs, the feet, the toes. Each part is uniquely different, but when brought together, it forms one body. This is the New Testament's vision of the church. 
But now you might press back again and say, but how? How is this possible? I mean, I can live without a finger. Now, Paul addresses this too. And it's something that I think that we've struggled with in the Christian church. But it's the uniqueness and the way that we achieve our oneness. And it is through spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Spirit that Paul presents to us in Corinthians and in Romans are actually what binds us together in unity. Spiritual gifts. I want you to hear this. Spiritual gifts were given for unity, not for individual transformation. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to chew on it the rest of the day today. Spiritual gifts were given for unity, not for individual transformation. It's not about you. Spiritual gifts are given to the many parts of the body so that the body can function together to edify the body, to build the body up. A theologian by the name of Jim Dunn, a brilliant theologian, says this profound statement. He says, The Spirit of God transcends human ability. The Spirit of God transcends human ability and transforms human inability. Listen again to what Paul says in our passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, From him the whole body joined and held together, for every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, folks, it's Jesus that binds us together and makes the parts one. The measure, folks, of success in a Pauline church, and what I mean by that is a church that's planted by Paul, the way that the Apostle Paul would have measured success in that church was not based on how many butts were in a seat. Paul didn't have his churches send him the weekly count in order to gauge their level of success or spirituality. The measure of success in a Pauline church was the unity of difference. Paul would look at a church and deem it successful if they had begun to work toward unity and accepting differences within that unity, being the body of Christ with the many parts and having the parts play their role. The church's ability to bear with one another in love. That's how Paul would have gauged a healthy church. How well are you bearing with one another in love? How open are you to forgiving one another because you've been forgiven? How often do you take on the posture of Colossians where Paul says this? He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, Colossians chapter 3, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with So how often do you clothe yourself as a church with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? How often do you bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone? Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgives you and over all these virtues put on love. Because love, he said, is what binds 
them all together in perfect unity. A successful Pauline church is a church that's bearing with one another in love, not a church that's smothering ranch dressing and saying, you've got to be like us. So according to the New Testament, the New Testament makes some really bold statements about the central purpose of God's church. And so according to the New Testament, the church, the people, the church, is the central purpose of God's mission to this world. The church, the New Testament says, is God's strategy of redemption. The church is God's display to the world of God's design for the world. The church is God's message to the world that that this is how the world is supposed to be. Now here's the thing. I love the church. But that is not the church that I see in this world. What I often see is a church that's trying to be either ranch dressing, everyone's the same, or a church that separates because we feel that someone doesn't fit. In other words, they can't be the same as you and I. That's not radical. That's just sin. You see, if the church's mission If the church is the central purpose of God's mission, if the church is to be showing the world God's kingdom here on earth, we have to take a posture of accepting different. Accepting that people are different, but they're welcome to the table. I think in a lot of ways, the church is more divided today than it has ever been. But scripture calls us to unify by putting the presence of Jesus at the center of who we are as the church. It calls us to live out our gifts, to edify the body. The gifts are not about you. The gifts are for us all. We need each other and we need the different parts in order to be complete. And this means that we have to face the people who are different and be determined to work at being together. Imagine us seated around a table and when you look across the table, you see someone that's different. And instead of of asking that person to leave the table to put someone else who's just like you in front of you, you actually open your ears and take a posture of grace, love, and listening as we're all seated at the table of salvation that Christ offers through the cross. It means, folks, that we got to face people who are different and we have to be determined to work together. And whenever we catch ourselves saying, but, but what about this? Or that, that just can't make sense. That vision is too big. I want you to stop and think for a second and ask yourself, in the midst of your butt, as you move the sentence on, What if you put Christ at the center of it? You see, nothing is impossible with God. So in the midst of your butt, what if you put Christ right in the middle of your butt? Does it change things? Because it should. You see, Paul would say that it changes everything. Our confession of faith as a Mennonite brethren denomination has a sidewalk version of sort of a list of 
what it is that we believe. And we've used this before in the past, uh, especially in the practice. Pastor Tamil has used it. But I thought it was a really great way to remind us of what we have to turn to as Christians. So I'm just going to read it to you, and I want you to listen very carefully and make it your prayer today to turn the way that our confession calls us to. It says, as Christians, we are called to turn from ignorance of God to a personal relationship with God. We're called to turn from bondage of sin and past mistakes to freedom, forgiveness, and healing. We're called to turn from individualism to interdependence with others in the local church. You can't do it alone. Inter-individualism is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches interdependence in the body of Christ. And we're called to turn from lifestyle choices that harm us and others and the earth to choices that nurture wholeness, healing, joy, and peace. And as Christians, we're called to turn from hating enemies and ignoring neighbors to showing love and justice to all. As Christians, we're called to turn from loving possessions to sharing with all in need. And we're called to turn from aimless existence to a mission of representing and proclaiming God's kingdom here on earth. And the New Testament church that Paul presents is saturated with those things. A church that seeks unity, not uniformity, in the midst of its differences. That's the radical church that the New Testament presents to us. And next week I'm going to talk about the two main things that catalyst all of that forward so that this can become our reality as the church. So I look forward to seeing you next week. And I hope that you're challenged today to ponder your perspective on difference. As human beings, we have a natural tendency to surround ourselves with people who are like us, with people who think like us, with people who dress like us, with people who share similar cultural backgrounds and political perspectives and hobbies to us. Because when we're face to face with people who are different, with people that we might not understand or people that we might even disagree with, it can make us feel really uncomfortable. But the New Testament paints a beautiful picture of what it means to live in unity, even in the midst of all of our diversity. Each one of us brings our own unique perspectives and experiences and personalities to our community. And it's only when those differences are embraced and celebrated even, that we can really live out the New Testament's vision of what it means to be the church. This morning, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to think about the people in your life that you connect with on a regular basis. The people who are sitting at your table, so to speak. How many of those people come from a different cultural background than you do? How many of those people come from a different social or economic situation than you?
How many of them have different political perspectives or different views on ethics than you do? And now ask God to show you who's missing from your table. Who do you ignore or keep at a distance or judge because of their differences? Take a moment right now to invite Jesus into that space. Invite Jesus to tear down that wall of hostility, to help you see others as he sees them and to love others as he loves them. And as we wrap up, ask God to show you one practical way that you can engage with someone who's different than you in this area over the course of this coming week. Maybe that means having a conversation with somebody. Maybe it means checking out a podcast or reading a book. How can you listen to some different voices and open yourself up to embracing the New Testament's vision of unity in the midst of diversity this week? Let's pray. God, thank you that you invite us to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Thank you for the New Testament's beautiful and incredible vision of living in unity, even in the midst of all of our differences. God, help us to represent you well in our broken world. God, help us to be people who live reconciled to you and reconciled to one another and to learn to celebrate and embrace our differences rather than pushing one another away. By the grace of Jesus Christ and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, welcome to our online service here at Evergreen Heights. Whether you're joining us for our online gathering on Sunday morning or checking out the service later on in the week, we want you to know that we are so glad that you're here. One of the coolest things about doing church online over the last few months has been connecting with those of you who have been engaging with our church family for the first time in this season. If that's you this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you, and we want to let you know that we would love to connect. And so if you'd like to let us know that you're here, I'd invite you to check out our website at evergreenheights.org and to introduce yourself so that we can welcome you to the Evergreen family. As we prepare to continue on in our service this morning, I just want to invite you to be fully present to what God is doing in the midst of it. As we sing the songs, let your heart really engage and connect with the words that we're singing. As we listen to the message, let the Spirit transform and inspire you to draw closer to God and to live out this kingdom vision of what it means to be the church in our world. Let's pray as we continue in our service this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you invite us to be part of your family the church. God, I pray that you will help each one of us draw close to you in the midst of this service, that we would have ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In your name, amen.